Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Simone Riscala, and you are listening to the Endow Podcast, a conversation not just about the feminine genius in general, but about cultivating your particular feminine genius through the Catholic intellectual tradition and intentional community. Well, hello, Endow ladies. Simone here, Director of Program Growth, and I'm with Rob Corzine, who I call Roberto or Rob or my friend. So Rob, welcome to the Endow podcast. It is so good to be here. I'm so happy to have you. And today we're going to talk about, this is cute guys, Mary, Macrina, and Monica. But before we start, um, Rob is the Vice President of Academic Programs at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. And Rob, you've been there for forever. I came here from DC in 2003. So at that point, we were, it was like me, uh, a retired lady who kept the books, and a couple's, couple of grad students, and Dr. Han. And um, now we're about 40 people. That's so amazing. Yeah. I, I, that's so awesome. I, Rob, I met you through what was the Witherspoon Fellowship, which is now the John Jay Institute. About that, about that time, about the 2004 time. That seems about right, yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know if I've told you this, you probably know this, but I was having a, a, a bit of a reversion conversion and I, I was calling you a lot. I remember calling you and emailing you a lot with all of my questions. Now, do you remember, I mean, it was a long time ago. Do you remember if I was like, I have a friend who has these questions about the Catholic church or was I pretty clear that it was me? I don't know. I think you were I, mostly pretty clear it was clear, you. It was me. Okay. <laughs> So <laughs> I don't know if any of the listeners out there have like files that are like in their email that are specifically about one person, but I have a Rob file, basically all of the crazy exchanges, <laughs> theological questions and because Rob, you're a convert. So Indeed. You, so you, so tell us a little bit about your story before we jump into the, the ladies uh, that we're going to be discussing today, uh, because your conversion helped my reversion. So I was originally raised uh, Baptist in a um, in a small splinter denomination of about three thousand congregations that broke off from the Southern Baptists because they were too liberal. Um, so, or or as we would say it, oh, when the Southern Baptist Convention began to succumb to creeping modernism. It's uh, <laughs> amazing. And. Um, they were part of the fundamentalist movement of the of the early and mid 20th century. And so it was biblical inerrancy uh, against the modernism that was that was creeping in and sort of asking, you know, casting doubt on on sacred scripture um, and the loss uh, they felt of the missionary impulse that that the Southern Baptists were just being planned church at home and not being missionaries anymore. And then the big kicker, of course, is that some of the Southern Baptists were getting so liberal that they would sit down and eat with Catholics. Oh, uh, no. And oh, there was no. A, <laughs> there's a strong element of anti-Catholicism. Um, but along with that, a, um, I, just, I grew up in, a, in an amazingly lovely community of, of really earnest Bible readers. And, um, and so it was, uh, it was the... Um, the really earnest and thorough um, appropriation of this tiny sliver of Catholic tradition that we had kept. 
um and uh and i am i am deeply grateful for for that upbringing i would come home from school in the afternoon and at that point my mom would have her bible and a strong's concordance and notebooks spread out and i thought that was normal yeah um, and um and it and, is not normal but that is that, awesome <laughs> yeah yeah that is that is a little unusual uh, I got my first, uh, I got a bicycle by memorizing long portions of scripture. I got my first bow and arrow by memorizing the whole armor of God. Uh, and uh, so it was, uh, yeah, in some ways it was, uh, it was narrow um, way to, um, to ex have experienced the faith, especially looking you know, at it now from the, from the fullness of like the richness of of the catholic tradition um but uh but like puritanism before it it was uh it was a narrow but very pure and clear stream you know of something that was in itself part of the catholic tradition right um, that's incredible i i really like protestant vacation bible school by the way did your denomination <laughs> have that because i did like all the prizes and the bible memorization i thought they did it really well and i went to both when I was a kid, Catholic and Protestant VBS, and the Protestants were better. They were just better at at VBS, at scripture memorization. I mean, because it's all, it's not all that they have, but it's, you know. It's no, that's right. I mean, it's a, I think it's a cultural artifact. So um, in Ireland or in Poland or in Italy, uh, where the faith had completely built a culture, everything supported the faith. And so there wasn't a tradition of, of teaching your children at home, sort of handing something on and of arming them against the world. And right. the immigrants reproduced that in some ways in these small sort of ghettoized neighborhoods. And then Protestantism, because their kids are born into this massive um, sort of marketplace of religious ideas, are have the tradition of making sure that they've taught their their faith to their children uh, mm -hmm. at home. And the, the bishops have said for a long time that family catechesis is the, the goal, is the ideal, that we don't want to just like teach kids for a couple hours at school, like the primary educators are parents. Yeah. But it's taken a long time for that to grow as a culture um, in American Catholicism. We still have the, the sort of remnants at the parish and the schools and the sisters will take care of it. And that's just not true anymore. Yeah, it's 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 not yeah. anymore. I mean, I was a high school theology teacher, religion teacher, and you know that that's kind of strange. I mean, that we it used to be religious orders. It used to be uh, priests and nuns who were who were doing the the majority of the teaching. But those are the days of yesteryear. So Indeed. here we here we are, parents, primary educators. Well. That this is exciting because a lot of the women who are listening to this podcast are moms who are trying to be primary educators and feed the life of the mind. So I'm going to do things backwards. So I know we want to get to our our three ladies, but maybe I just jump right into it with what? Why is it so important for Catholic women to be dedicated to the intellectual life? Because that's what we do at Endow. Yeah, I mean it's important for everyone right? We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's not just um, an intellectual or an academic exercise. It's not that um, you know, we need to like add to the knowledge of mankind by spending our days and nights studying. 
Um, but we've been given minds and we need to offer those minds to God. And our minds are made to know, to know the truth who ultimately you know, is the Lord. And, and so there are, there are that, that, there's that primary reason, right? That we serve a God um, who has revealed himself to us and we want to understand that revelation. And as Frank Sheed says, you know, um, you know this, this, is a, this is a false dichotomy. There's often phrased to people, it's like, you should, you should pursue, you know, uh, love and charity, not, you know, knowledge. You know, you should pursue the heart, not the head. Um, and Frank Sheen says, it is a strange God who could be loved better by being known less. Oh, um, wow. Great one. Great. Yeah. Actually, the, 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 one of, the, one of your authors was the person in my adult life who put that fallacious argument to me. You know, <laughs> she had, she had been malformed. She, she was raised Catholic and then, and then had been formed in the sort of Protestant denomination. And when I started like poking her, uh, and, uh, and sharing Catholic things with, she's like, you know, charity unites, theology divides. Um, <laughs> <laughs> horrifying for my ears. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And, and she, she, but she was just really bright and, and her curiosity had been just suppressed by, by that sort of malformation. And so she went from, from that to being this like just voracious reader. Uh, and a daily communicant in the course of like three months. Oh my gosh. You see how the truth seizes us. Rob, you've read so many books. I think about 10 years ago, I shamelessly said, Rob, how many books have you read? Because you just pull all these amazing quotations right and left out of your pockets. Do you have a number? Have you been keeping a number? Uh, well, I don't know how many books I've read ever, but I do keep a Goodreads tab. So, uh, I've read 42 this year, like since January 1. Are you people listening to this? 42 this year and the year just started. So I just had to, I just had to throw that out there because this is why Rob's on my, my short list for when I have theological questions that come up. You know, he's like part of my little secret cabinet of like four people that I call uh, when, when, I, when I need to check things. So Thank also, you for, thank for you years, for, it was, for, for a couple of years, right, it was your questions for a friend, but then it was awesome questions from your students, and they were just awesome questions, so. Uh, so good. Look how smart the question, I mean, I thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, sometimes I get stumped by the high school students. I'd be like, Rob, help, you know, because they were, they're not satisfied with superficial answers. I'm not satisfied. I, I wouldn't be. I wasn't. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the wisest uh, teachers of scripture, a Jesuit who, um, who taught at the Biblicum in Rome for about 40 years, uh, and uh, once told me, he's like, you know, you should never allow anyone <laughs> to teach college who hasn't first taught high school theology. He's like, the high school students have highly refined bullshit meters. You can't just throw... <laughs> You can't, you can't just throw fancy words at them. They will ask you, what does that mean? Right. They will sniff out, not just your hypocrisy. They will sniff out your, your logical gaps in just yep. a second. They might not know what the answer is, but they'll, they'll know that that wasn't it. Uh, yeah. Hilarious. So wait, Rob, if you're my Rob, who's your Rob? Who's your go-to? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, I, it depends on the subject. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's very reasonable. We, you know, we have authorities in different categories, but uh, so like often you, you would ask questions that would just make me go, Hmm, I don't know. And turn to my own bookshelves. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah. And, um, but I now share an office with Curtis Mitch. Uh, and, uh, Curtis is the guy who worked with Scott for the last 22 years to write the Ignatius Catholic study Bible. And, um, so he's written a commentary on every verse of sacred scripture and he's forgotten more about scripture than most people who spend their lifetime studying it will ever learn. Um, so on Bible questions, I can now go, Hey, Curtis, have you heard this? And, uh, and usually he has detailed answers off the top of his head. Oh, um, my sister. Yeah, and then, you know, on church fathers questions, I can ask Mike. Right. Um, Mike actually then, did one of the most popular interviews, by the way, for the Endowed Podcast. Our interview was Mike, top five. Mike um, is amazing. And yeah. then my boss and friend, uh, Dr. Han, is the most bibliographic individual I know. Uh, and, uh, and so he will, his library is north of 50,000 volumes now. Oh um, so if, if, you, if you want a reading assignment or, or <laughs> a recommendation, Guy usually will, will go to it. Just go give to you it. a lid. It's He's a really funny. dangerous man to go to a used bookstore with. He'll be like, have you seen this? Do you have this? You need it. You need this. I know, but that's, to me, there's nothing more exciting than going into a bookstore. It just feels like a heavenly promise, a foretaste, because I can't possibly read this all. And I can't, I can't continue to live with the frustration of not having read everything. So for me, it's like this little encounter with, with the fulfillment of all desire of the kingdom. It and is. Anyway, my sister has been telling me lately, you know what, Simone, the things you don't know could fill a book. That's been her new. <laughs> they do, and they fill most of the books. And actually that... <laughs> That actually is a, is a hard lesson for people like us, that we have to be content to, to study the things that are, you know, our task to study and to not know things. Um, Sertilange, A.G. Sertilange in The Intellectual Life, like pegs this. He's like, you know, we, we need to read better, but most of us need to read less than wow. we do. Wow. And Focus. it's the... Um, St. Thomas contrasts the virtue of studiositas, of studiousness, to the vice of curiositas, mm -hmm. of like just desire to know. It's the, it's the inordinate, it's the gluttony of the mind in the it, same way as we have a natural like need for food and a, an appetite for food. We have, we have a natural desire to know whose end is to know God. And then we have gluttony of the of the of the mind we can read too much okay but in defense of extroverts like myself and you're an introvert right rob yeah okay so okay you're okay all right like in defense of extroverts who want to be able to converse with every sort of person it is very hard to have a strict intellectual path based on your calling which admittedly is what humility you know would point toward but when you just want to be part of every conversation and want to know about a little bit of everything just to be able to like be connect with people. I mean, I'm just, I'm, yeah, airing, yeah. I'm airing, I'm airing my, my, <laughs> <here. laughs> it doesn't have to be completely vicious curiosity, but just this like true desire to connect, um, to connect and to want to be part of the conversation. That's right. 
Um, that's absolutely right, right? And and you want to you want to be like the wise, and you want to be with the wise, and yes. and to, yeah. you have to at least be able to pretend to be one of them, or 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 so <laughs> so, so it would seem. Although I um, I'm in a really weird place because I regularly regularly get to be the dumbest guy in the room. Uh, and well, that's a nice change. That's a nice change, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And and that just means like everyone in this room can teach me things. Yeah, well, I think to me that when I when I realize I'm in the presence of somebody who is has so much to teach me, they the humility the humility of a true intellectual is astounding to me. It's the pseudo intellectuals that sound really confident about things all the time. And, yeah, it, it's yeah. a it's the difference between so. Um, the, the art of teaching, the famous book called The Art of Teaching, and it really boils down to love your subject and love your students. Yes. And you can always tell teachers like that who love their subject and love their students, uh, as opposed to um, people who love themselves and want to talk about themselves and the things that they know. And you can learn from those people, but they're much less pleasant. But then much less, and we've all been to parties with them anyway. Moving on. This was, <laughs> this was delightful. Um, so, Mary, Macrina, and Monica, I'm just going to learn from you, Rob. <laughs> well, we when, you say, when you invited me to come and do a podcast for the Endow ladies, I'm like, well, what do I know about Endow? I'm like, well, this is kind of the, this is kind of the reading woman's like, Catholic Bible study. These are, these are the people who wanted to dig in and learn some things and hang out with other women and read some things. These are not the girl, wash your face. Um, no, they're not that woman. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for knowing that about us. Yes. We're intellectually bent. We want to read church documents. We want to learn about the lives of the saints and we want our friendships with other women in the church um, to be based on something robust, right? To be based on Christ, of course, but, but something we can sink our teeth into. So that's, that's the hope of the endow study that of course, the intellectual life it's not is not its own end the end is transformation in god but but we want to talk about real things and we want to we want to do that in the most accessible accessible way possible for modern busy women so no this is not a girl wash your face yeah yeah <laughs> so like so who are who are the great women you know who who have been you know the, the the great teachers and and mothers and obviously right our lady right the only person um, the only human person with an unfallen intellect, um, like, right, the greatest theologian of all time, like pondered the word incarnate. If you're going to, if you're going to think with the church, um, like she's, she's your go-to and um, like the one who, who knows, um, who knows the incarnate word and who because like to know him is to love him so the one who loves the most knows the much and love is a kind of knowledge um and everything about him is a th another reason to love him so like mary's indispensable but then probably like the you know the the theology star has got to be saint macrina whom so many people have never heard of i heard um, her through you like 15 years ago <laughs> and i put on my to-do list I should learn about Macrina, but here I am learning about her for the first time. <laughs> well, okay, put this on your list. So Macrina um, is the oldest daughter of uh, St. Basil and St. Amelia. 
we have to say St. Basil the Older because her little siblings include St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. Peter of Sabasti, um, and uh, one younger brother who probably would have, had he lived longer, um, also been, been canonized, Necrasius, or Necrasius, I think. Uh, so, uh, oh, and then she has, she has a grandparent, uh, Macrina the Elder, who's also a saint. Um, so she's like this, this insane family of saints. And not just like little saints, like Basil is the founder of, of the Western monastic tradition, the guy who invented hospitals. He's a, <laughs> he's a doctor of the church. Uh, Gregory, Gregory of Nyssa wrote this book, um, The Life of St. Macrina. Um, so Gregory writes a story, writes her life story about how she taught him theology. Like Gregory, Gregory came home from college, you know, insanely brilliant uh, and knew it and very full of himself. And Macrina's like, oh, my younger brother needs some, some reform. <laughs> there's some and, some feminine genius expressing itself right there. So yeah. are, you, are you saying that Macrina taught Gregory of Nyssa and Gregory of Nyssa is one of the, he's one of the Western fathers, or the Eastern fathers. Yeah, I mean, so he's one of the, the Cappadocian, one of the three Cappadocians. The Cappadocian fathers, right. Two, two of the Cappadocian fathers are her little brothers, you know, Basil the Great and Gregory of Nyssa, both doctors of the church. See? And then... They're pals. And he's like, the famous one. He's the famous one, not Macrina. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're buddies from school. Well, Basil's buddies from school, right, are the other one, Gregory of Nazianzen and Athanasius of Alexandria. So like, hey. she, she grew up in this hey. personal circle of just amazing greatness. Their grandparents had, had been confessors under the, the Diocletian yeah. persecution. They're there at the very beginning. So she's born in 327, like just you know, a few years after Christianity is legalized. Um, and, uh, and kind of the, at the, and of course, she, when, when her, her father died when she was 12, a year after her youngest brother, Peter was born. So Gregory says she was teacher and father and mother to Peter. So Peter also is a, is a founder, another bishop and a, and a founder of religious orders. So Macrina, and then when, when, when they were older, Macrina talked her mother uh, into um, turning their house into a, into a convent and, and turning, they were very wealthy, um, which is how they've been able to send the, the older boys off to Athens to study uh, and become these, these amazingly you know, brilliant fathers of the church. Um, but she turns to her mom and she says, well, okay, uh, your, your primary vocation was like dad and raising us kids and we're mostly raised. So why don't we, um, free all the servants? Um, if they want to take vows, they can stay and be our sisters and we'll serve with them. So she is also a foundress of, uh, you know, of women's religious life. Um, so she, uh, yeah, she, she was, um, she was never married, but she was betrothed and her fiance died. And, and oh. when her parents encouraged her to, uh, to get married, she's like, nope, I've already been betrothed. It feels like I'd be unfaithful. I'm going to be 
I'm going to be a consecrated virgin. Okay, so is she just like, oh, been there, done that, now it's time to like live my life, you know? Or was, do you think she was actually sad? I think she was, I think she was very sad, but also, you know, used that as the occasion to discern, you know, a, um, you know, a religious vocation. When, but at the time, of course, there is no such thing. Right. It's not like I think I'll go and join a religious order. No, this um, is like grassroots consecrated virginity, like first time ever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So <laughs> there there was the there was the order of widows. So you know, Paul talks um in in First Corinthians um uh, you know about consecrated virginity and includes like if your if your husband dies, right? Um and so there was this tradition of the order of widows, but it didn't have, didn't apply to like women in their teens because their their fiance had died but yeah that's that's the route she chose right um and uh so monica is the other one i mean my my patron coming my patron coming into the church was um was saint augustine probably oh, okay. the the greatest thinker um that uh that christianity has produced in all of its many centuries um and uh, saint thomas um, I would say Thomas stands in the Augustinian tradition in a lot of ways. Sure. And so, no, Thomas is you unique. Know, this is like a nerd question at a Catholic nerd party. Like, are you, you know, so I just have, there are no Thomists around here, so you're safe. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, no I, I uh, well, those, that line is the, is the collected works of Thomas in Latin and English, which we publish. And, uh, so I, I think the the divide between Thomas and Augustine is is overblown. You know, after sacred scripture, Thomas quotes Augustine more than anyone. Um, wow. And if you if you include Augustine and and in all of his they, works in all, in all of his in all of Thomas. yeah in all of his works yeah especially in the in the um, in the said contra in, in the Summa right so he, he gives the objections to this proposition. And then, like a quote from authority, and um, if you include Augustine and um, and Dionysius, he quotes them more than Aristotle. Um, well, why does Aristotle have the reputation of being? Because that's what was new. Like Aristotle uh, was the uh, Aristotle we've heard, we've was part of Augustine, but Aristotle's oh, we, okay because of the well, scholastics. Okay, yeah, the the oh, new thinking. Like Aristotle was the hot new thing. And it was really unclear whether Aristotle could be Christianized. Yes. And and Thomas was the guy who said yes, but not like you guys are doing it. Um, yeah. And so 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 Thomas, um, you know, kind of in the same way that people overblow, you know, Aristotle and Plato. Like Plato wasn't like the rejector of, uh, or Aristotle wasn't the rejector of Plato, who was truly his student. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and they're they're important. They're important distinctions in the places where they where they divide. But um, but I, I think they're I think that can that that opposition can be overblown. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Augustine is the person who's um, who's quoted more than anyone in the catechism as well. Um, and he just, he ranges all over the place. Yeah. And um, and I. I as a as a literary as a purely literary matter, Augustine's writing is amazing and beautiful, and uh, and Thomas's categorizes Thomas's thought is crystalline and um, 
and sort of it has a kind of perfection and and detail all its own but augustine's writing has blood um yeah and yeah there's there's a tangent question then in in the, with the transcendentals are you even though yeah you read a lot of books and you're a smart guy etc but like are you a beauty person is that why is that why you feel more drawn to maybe augustine just the the way of beauty and um yes ish i mean so the yeah the true the good and and the beautiful i i, I am attracted to all of them but more to truth and beauty um yeah and uh like there are there are people whose whose primary like aesthetic attachment is moral goodness and like i know some of them and they baffle me <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they say like pope francis is the way of good john paul ii the way of truth and and pope benedict the way of beauty and everybody has one that they're kind of more attracted to than the other so i just i would i was just curious if uh, you know which one you were um, yeah 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 um I, I i think it's um the beauty of truth and the truth of the beautiful <laughs> <laughs> what an answer moving on back to what you <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's really good um okay so augustine he's your confirmation saint he's my confirmation saint a lot of people were surprised they're like why not why not saint thomas and i'm like well you know Augustine, there's there's more out there. There's more there's more of him to read, and he's just all over the place. And 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 the confessions were a were a big part of kind of where uh, you know where the Lord grabbed me. And um, yeah, and so uh, he was a bad kid, um, and he uh, he is a late convert. That's the other. I mean, Augustine is easier to to relate to yeah um, right he re he was a dissolute teenager uh who came home to his christian mom and said this is my girlfriend this is my son i'm a heretic now uh it was good years in college but i'm really brilliant and i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna bail on you and he uh made, he literally um said okay we're all gonna move to rome said why don't you go pray in the chapel and then like ran off, got on a boat and left his mom stranded away from home, you know, and, um, and in, in that time, that might've been like, I'll never see you again. Right, um, right. And, uh, and then eventually she follows him to Rome and he's not there, he's up in Milan. And, uh, and that's where, where he has his conversion. With one yeah, of my favorite saints, St. Ambrose. Yes. He's, he's one of mine. Yes, yeah. Ambrose, Ambrose is one of my guys as well. Um, well, we can argue about that after, after that. <laughs> <laughs> is he more mine than yours? I mean, it's funny with friendships. You can, I, I, I don't know if there are other women out there like this, but I introduced St. Anthony to a friend of mine and now she's better friends with him than I am. And I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad for it. You know, friendship with one doesn't take away friendship with the other, but you know, Sometimes it can hurt. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so friendship actually that's one of the marks of friendship, right? Is that two friends will always want to be joined by a third and by a fourth. As as Lewis says I was in um, say, this is Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the four loves. It's four the loves. 
is an unselfish love because the love of friendship is not face to face, but side by side, looking at the thing that they share. Um, so the language of friendship is you two, I thought I was the only one. And you three just makes it better. Uh, it does. I mean, and when Lewis says, I think it was Lewis who says that we read to know that we're not alone. Mm. Oh, that is so true. <laughs> that is just so true. Um, okay, so back to, back to Monica. Back yeah, to so, um, so I mean, we think of Monica as, and I actually have a, a, a dear friend who's like, oh, don't talk to me about St. Monica. You know, she's such a wuss. She's like following her son, you know, all around. He's like this hovering mom with this bratty kid. Um, but, <laughs> but that's not actually the Monica that we meet in the only sources we have uh, for her life is primarily the, um, the confession. We, uh, and, and, and apparently she was really open with, uh, with St. Augustine. We have this great story from her childhood. She was raised in a, in a Christian home. She had this very, very strict um, nanny who raised them. And uh, one of the rules was like, um, no eating between meals, no drinking between meals. And teenage Monica had this habit of like sneaking a cup of wine uh, between meals. And uh, <laughs> until, until one of the, until she got busted, one of the servant girls in the house, you know, caught her. And she was just so like, like even th like years later, like told by her son, you can like, you can feel the like, the crushing teenage girl embarrassment, you know, of being like busted, being a bad. For being girl. a day for being a day drinker. Yeah, day drinker, yeah. <laughs> uh, and to her credit, like she stops that day. But uh, but there you see a little bit of the the real Monica, but also um, you know, at the end of her life, like Augustine is one of the most brilliant minds the West has ever produced. He's he's the inheritor of this tradition of education that's like unparalleled. Uh, he's, at the, he's at the peak of his profession and the peak of, of his, the, his profession's place. So he leaves, he leaves North Africa, goes to Rome and then to Milan. Milan, not Rome, is the center of, um, of administration in, in Italy. It's sort of the imperial city. So he's like the top teacher in the top place. And there's this, um, St. Monica's uh, remains are in the church of, of St. Augustine in Rome. And painted on the ceiling there is a painting called the Ecstasy, Ecstasy at Ostia. Um, and it's trying to capture this last conversation uh, that Augustine describes with his mom, where they both just lost all sense of, of time and where they were as they're, as they're sharing in, wow. in the things of God, you know, sort of took them out of themselves. And so like, like this, you know, provincial, um, probably Berber woman from North Africa mm -hmm. ha has spent her life in a kind of prayer and intimacy where we're talking earlier about how the love of God leads to knowledge of God, not just like motivates you to want to get it, but is a kind of knowledge itself. So like, wow. she's not only keeping up with, but like she is blowing away, you know, this kid who's like the hotshot um like the intellectual giant of our age um and uh macrina is also one of the uh or not macrina but monica is one of the um one of the first people we know of in church history 
uh, who, um, who was a daily communicant. Um, oh, I didn't know that. How incredible. She would go to funerals uh, in order to get daily mass. She's um, so savvy. That's so, yeah. That's so clever. Yeah. <laughs> here to pay my respects and yeah so so monica also is you know not only the, the um the model of of persistent prayer um you know when she was going through this there's this famous and and the the bishop who said it is unnamed um but you know, she's got this rebellious child she's taught well um she's done everything that she can and still he's this you know, unrepentant, um, you know, pagan, uh, who's living a sort of dissolute, immoral life. And, um, and she goes, she says, I've done everything I can. What can I do? And, uh, and there's this great line, uh, the, the, the bishop says, you know, I can't see, I can't see how a child of so many of such tears can ever be lost. Um, oh my gosh. Wow. And, uh, and it was years, right? It was, it was decades before like her fallen away kid became St. Augustine. Right, and, I mean, um, not just- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not just like had some kind of conversion and now he goes to mass sometimes. He's like St. Augustine. <laughs> oh my gosh. As my friend Therese likes to tell me, um, don't leave five minutes before the miracle. You know, don't, don't- uh, right. You know, and it's just so helpful. And Monica is the first person that comes to mind. You know, don't stop at praying 14 and a half years for Augustine. Just keep going to year 15. And there's going to be some grace that blows through. You know? Indeed. And, and we can't really predict how that, how that happens. We can just trust that it does. Exactly. Um, exactly. And uh, uh, the persistent widow, the, you know, we have so many biblical examples of, I'm not taking no for an answer, God. So. Yes, the, uh, the, 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 the parable of the persistent widow, or as, um, as Father Groeschel used to say, the story of the garrulous old woman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think, I mean, I, one of the ways my own mother has kind of reflected kind of God's sense of humor, love, personality has been, she just really likes it when we ask, you know, and as kids, I remember like, mom, what do I have to ask? You know, I want this. She's like, but she, she wants, but I want you to ask. I enjoy yeah. when you ask. And then I enjoy answering it, Rob. So, wow. <laughs> that's beautiful. Well, before we wrap up, and he, I mean, this was amazing. Uh, so happy to finally really learn about Macrina and I got to get that book. Dude, um, it's super short. It's like, I don't know, 50 or 60 pages. Yeah. That's like, for you a minute, you know, for me a couple hours uh, or more. <laughs> I, I am actually a slow reader. I just... Um, but you know what you do? Well, you read in shopping lines. You, you, you don't just stand anywhere. You're, you're always, you know, you got five minutes here, five minutes there, and you're reading. So... I always have something that I'm reading. And, um, and now with audiobooks, if I'm driving or if I'm exercising or if I'm cleaning my house, I've got a book going. Yeah, see? That's how you do it. That's how you do it, my friends. Those who are listening, that's how we do it. We'll <laughs> learn. Well, um, thank you, Rob. Pray for Endow. Pray for our, our women. Thank you so much for your work at the St. Paul Center and and just all the all the lives that you touch and witness to. And maybe we'll have you back on, especially if you get inspired by maybe another trio of female saints. We can. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. God bless. 
If this episode was helpful for you, please consider sharing it with a friend or two. We would also appreciate it so much if you left a rating and review so that more women can discover Endow and our mission to help women cultivate their unique feminine genius. Please also check out the link below to learn how to become a monthly donor to help defray podcast production costs. And of course, if you'd like to talk to me about joining or starting your own Endow group, please email me at simone.riscala at endowgroups.org. And remember, you are the heart of Endow.